0: Hello world singers, my name is Tyler
1: and my name is Brooke
0: and this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. Hello, everyone. So good to be back on Mike, And we have a very fantastic, a very wonderful, a very adjective series of things that we are planning right now. And we want to introduce it to everyone here.
1: Yeah, introduction to our next episode series, which is going to be on the novellas of the Cosmere.
0: The short stories, the in betweens, the deleted scenes. There are so many different elements that Brandon has put out over the years from things that he's like revealed at Comic Con, like the Traveler and other uh, kind of just in between scenes. We already did the Traveler. But we thought, hey, let's take a look at all of the short stories and, in my opinion, more importantly, the novellas, those great little bits of the Cosmere that are really excellent to recommend to someone as a starting point.
1: Yeah, I think these little snippets, some are shorter than others, but obviously they're all shorter than the main stuff, Um for a long time, they were pretty hard to get your hands on because they were in, like, story collections and things like that. Like, he would write things for other anthologies. Um, And then recently, semi-recently, uh, he collected all of them into the Arcanum Unbounded. So, again, if you are one of those listeners who has not yet gotten or read the Arcanum Unbounded, it's a great read. These might be short, but in a lot of cases, I think they actually add... A lot of interest and information to the greater Cosmere.
0: So what we are going to do with this episode is kind of be a little all over the place because we're going to take you through our plans for the th- series and then we're going to jump back and look at one of the shorter little snippets that Bren has released And so, Brooke, could you just kind of start us off? What is our outline plan for the next couple of episodes here on Cosmere Conversations?
1: We are going to start on Cell, which is the planet of Elantris. Today, we'll be talking about The Hope of Elantris, which is a short story in that world. And then we will also talk about. The Emperor's Soul, which is a super interesting novella also set on cell, um, but it's a different part of the planet than you see in Elantris. So if like someone didn't tell you it was on cell, you might not know. And I think there's some really interesting uh, connections to be made within that realm.
0: As I've mentioned multiple times on the podcast, Emperor's Soul is also the very first thing that I read in the Sanderson world and possibly the first thing I recommended to Brooke as well.
1: You didn't recommend it to me, but you just told me about it. You were like, I'm reading this thing, oh, it's about this it's girl, nerdy. and like, this is the thing that she does, and I was like, I don't really understand what you're saying, but I guess it's cool.
0: Enthusiasm <laughs> carries the way nine <laughs> times out of ten. That's also like a life pro tip as well. <laughs> reading pro tip and life pro tip. You get everything here on Cosmo
1: Conversations. <laughs> Your one-stop shop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now we're
0: just two people offering dubious advice, and that podcast is done by the Hank and John Green combo. So we're going to look at Emperor's Soul and then we're going to jump planets over to one of the least explored, but definitely most oh, interesting, most
1: interesting, in my opinion, and
0: certainly most confusingly named and titled book series on. Yeah. The, it's definitely it doesn't make sense until you get into the story. But I think just like trying to understand it at the beginning, the planet is first of the sun, the book slash character is six of the dusk now we're going to look at that one as a completely independent episode just like we are going to with emperor soul but for some of the real short ones we might double up or even triple up and just kind of add a bunch of things together but six of the dusk on the planet first of the sun will be after emperor soul
1: Then we are going to go to Threnody, which is the planet on which the, I don't know, what would you call it? Short story? Novella? Short story. Short story? Yeah. Okay. Shadows for Silence and the Forests of Hell takes place.
0: Really cool title and definitely- See, but
1: I think that one is more confusing.
0: Oh, it's definitely confusing. Like,
1: what does that even mean? This is
0: why we're doing episodes. Even
1: having read the story, I'm like, I don't- like, that title doesn't mean anything. I
0: believe <laughs> Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell was one of these short stories that was put in a larger anthology. It work. was. It the was actually anthology
1: edited. is called Dangerous Women.
0: And was that the one that's edited and put together by George R.R. Martin?
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: I, I believe it's either that one or the original printing of uh, Six of the Dusk. But one of them is uh, edited by George R.R. R. Martin. And you can kind of see all of the different fantasy authors have this like tiny network that I imagine <laughs> is like a, a superhero network. Like when, you know, Batman needs to get together the Justice League, he, he sends out the message and all the superheroes come a running. I imagine fantasy authors also have the same type of thing.
1: I was imagining it more like, you know, a 1920s salon or something
0: oh very fancy and in reality it's they just email each other like normal people like there's not anything secret in any way shape or form they're just like uh, on twitter uh, hey do you guys want to do this and then they'll do it uh yeah we're it's actually not mysterious but let's make it seem mysterious anyway i do find threnody to be one of the planets that I want to know more about. Yeah, 100%. And so I really am excited to go back and read through and try to pull all the details out about Shadows for Silence and the Force of Hell to try to get a couple more tidbits here and there.
1: Then we're going to go to Scadrial, where we have Allomancer Jack and the Pit of Eltania as well as The 11th Metal. And I think we'll probably do those two together. They're pretty short.
0: Now, there are a couple of other things going on on Scadrille, most notably Mistborn's Secret History. That is a big commitment, and I think that it might actually fall outside of our scope for this series.
1: Yeah, because I wouldn't really call that a short story. I mean, I guess it's a the
0: Yeah, it might fit the definition. It seems
1: longer than that, though. It deserves its own own thing.
0: It is its own thing. And because it's so Cosmere significant, and it's one of those things that we reference quite often, but don't have an individual episode for it yet, I think we're going to tackle that one at some point, but not in this main series. So we'll double up on Alamancer Jack and the 11th Metal, and then we will jump to Rashar and tackle Edge Dancer, the solo story that takes place after Words of Radiance, but before the main events of Oathbringer, or I guess simultaneous to some of the events of Oathbringer, where... Lift is the main character and you explore some very important things that we will get to when we tackle Edge Dancer and then we might jump back and uh, do some Mistborn Secret History as well. But that's a full docket and multiple episodes that we got in front of us and we wanted to kind of lay out all of the different things that we'll be interested in over the next couple of episodes. Now the only other thing that could Technically, I guess, kind of fall in line as a novella or short story that we are going to not do in this series are White Sand, uh, the two comic books that take place on Tal'Dane. We have already done a White Sand reviewed episode. I think it was maybe nineteen or around there, around the twenties. And if you're interested in learning all about Tal'Dane but have not committed to buying the <laughs> comic book yet you're welcome to go check out that episode
1: also we will not be including any of the short stories or like unpublished works that Brandon has Mm. made available to his fans because he has said and reiterated over and over again that there are a lot of things in those stories that are not going to be canon that are not going to be like carried over, that there are bits and pieces from those stories that he's taken and worked into other works that he already has published. So for our purposes, those stories are not useful to understanding the greater Cosmere as it is
0: currently. I definitely find that a lot of Super fans are very, very interested. You know, they want every little aspect possible that Brandon has ever released, including Brandon's master's thesis that he wrote when he was in grad school. Um, it's kind of the unofficial beginning of the Cosmere and deals with some of things like uh, dragons and maybe even a little bit of Hoid or early Hoyd character. But um, yeah, those types of things are very interesting and like we think it's cool that they're out there uh but yeah it's
1: super nice of him to like be so generous with his work yeah i just think because he's he like he says all the time he's like you can't put stock in this it will not be like this
0: basically that is brandon telling you not to trust anyone who predicts the future and <laughs> those things don't predict the future so get out of here with them. We are going to look at Hope of Elantris today, which I would classify maybe as a short story, definitely not a novella length.
1: Yeah, it's pretty short. You can find it on Brandon's website if you want. It's like a 20 minute read, maybe. We are going to start by reading the little intro that Brandon has provided for this story, just to give some context and background to what this is all about. He starts, quote, The following is a short story I wrote in the Elantris world back in January of 2006. At that point, Elantris had only been out in stores for about seven or eight months, but I actually hadn't written anything new on the story or the world since 2000, when I'd finished the first draft of the original book. This story was originally posted for sale on Amazon.com once the contract with them ran out. I posted it here.
0: There are always a few holes in the manuscript where I decided not to include viewpoints or sections of explanation in the name of streamlining, particularly at the end. In the back of my mind, I knew what happened. This story talks about one of those holes. It is meant to be read after you finished the novel and takes place during the events of the climax. In the annotation, I've written a further explanation of why I wrote this piece. Some of you may find it interesting to read this ahead of time. I put it in the annotation. However, as I know, others would rather enjoy the story without bias beforehand Then read my thoughts afterward. Either way, if you haven't read the novel Elantris, this contains major spoilers, (laughs) but I might suggest reading the whole book first. This story won't work at all for you if you haven't. As always, thanks for reading. And as just a reminder, hashtag all spoilers all the time. Why are you even listening to this podcast if you don't want no spoilers? This ain't no intro episode. We go in deep into the world. All right. Let's talk about the hope of Elantris. As you said, pretty short. Our major characters are all present. And that means that I need to learn how to pronounce the character names for the first time.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that still like rings for me about Elantris is that it is one of Brandon's earliest works. And I think he will say, too, that there are some remaining problems with this story, one of which I think is the language system. It's, like, meant to be very uh, structured, but the actual structure is not very clear and doesn't seem to quite follow itself a lot of the time.
0: And it's a complicated magic system this is the one that uses the aeons which which are symbols that are drawn to create the magic but they're always based in part on geography and that's like the climax of the story is that the geography has changed and therefore the aeons need to change which
1: is also something that is
0: wrong wrong (laughs)
1: yeah with the book um which brandon has since Fixed and reissued in the most recent publication of this book. He actually rewrote a passage at the end to make it make sense. (laughs) So yeah,
0: I I actually want to talk about this um, (laughs) after we get to The Hope of Elantris and that's kind of what we'll conclude this little short episode with. But The Hope of Elantris. So we have the story of Elantris with Serene, Lady Serene. How do we say her name?
1: When I was reading it, I was saying serene
0: serene i believe
1: from brandon it's supposed to be serene
0: oh okay i am instead just gonna horribly mispronounce it go out on my firefly roots and just call her serenity instead uh- <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous okay serene rayadin and ash now ash is not really a full-on character Ash
1: she. Ashe, ashe is a, a C on the little balls of investiture question mark
0: i kind of think of them as the cell version of, of spren. spren exactly yeah and so obviously spren we have a lot more about
1: they're essentially sentient pieces of investiture
0: and i think that that is really what should be kept in mind because Brandon has said, you know, across the Cosmere that investiture by itself can become sentient. And that is what leads to Spren and also leads to these seans.
1: Yeah, which is one of the most interesting things I think about this world that we don't have a ton of information on, but I'm looking forward to getting more in the future. So the hope of Elantra starts with these three key characters and just a quick sort of introduction prelude type of thing um it is after the events of elantris Sarane is pregnant with raiden obviously well with raiden's child
0: oh no it's just him (laughs) just his genes gonna be reborn clone status
1: and essentially raiden is like hey Ashe, what were you doing during the climax of Elantris? Because you weren't with me. And then Flashback. Yeah, flashback. <laughs> Which I actually really like because I do think the climax of Elantris is very uh, chaotic, chaotic and busy. And, yeah. There's a lot going on. Like I think it took me maybe two reads to really like feel like I understood what was happening. It's kind of like an action film where there's just like punch, punch people flying and you're like who's punching who i don't know (laughs) can
0: we we actually go on just a short tangent just because everybody and their mother is talking about game of thrones and i feel (laughs) like this is brought up by the director of uh, the famous battle of the bastards from more recent seasons but he said that when directing these big, gigantic fight scenes, especially ones that go on for 15, 20, 30 minutes, the key is actually removing action from the scene. Like, if you think of the Battle of the Bastards, it's a very long sequence taking, I'm guessing, about 30 minutes, but there's a lot of different elements of that um battle sequence yeah the he changes slows it up down
1: the perspective yes on what is happening so you get sort of a broader view of this fight and yeah there's not i think sometimes like the camera just zooms in too much in yes. like some action films and like you said they want to pack like all the action they can into it and it does not make for a very clear storytelling which for some movies is fine but for some movies does a disservice So to me, Elantris is a little bit like that, where there's a lot of action happening, but it's not super clear storytelling.
0: Yeah. And I I just find that idea of like, in order to make a good action scene, sometimes what you have to do is cut out action. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pull back. Uh, from the action. And I I think that's just what an experienced hand will learn over time. And definitely something that, you know, the Game of Thrones people have done, but also Brandon has developed.
1: Yeah, because I was gonna say, then when you flash forward to like, all of the super epic action sequences and Oathbringer, like that could very easily be really chaotic, very unclear. There's a lot going on in that final battle. But I think he does a fantastic job and it is clear. So clearly, like, he's come quite a ways.
0: And flashing back into our story of Hope of the Elantris, they flash back to the climax and we meet Matisse. Matisse? How are we saying it?
1: Well, I mean, I'm just saying Matisse, but that's the thing. Matisse is perfect. He, like, named this character after... A person in real life. So he just kept her name as Matisse, which doesn't fit with the linguistic structure he already established.
0: <laughs> so it's a little out because, of place because yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> writing differently. But Matisse is helping the children in the city of Elantris.
1: She is an Elantrian. She has been put in charge of taking care of all of the kids. And we start sort of right at you know the eve of the attack she's trying to get all of the kids in bed quickly notices that something is going on and sort of before she knows it the city is under attack and she's trying to um, get the children to a safe place so it's pretty uh action packed well it has that's not really the word i was looking for
0: it has a lot of suspense that is being um being felt by the reader and and built up and then if you did imagine this inside the story you could see how it would be a kind of cut away from the main action with raiden Mm -hmm. and then it would cut over to this uh story with matisse that obviously didn't happen in the real story but you can kind of imagine I feel like it being that would have cut been, cut been nice yeah exactly i
1: understand why he didn't do it that way but it it adds a lot of really good context to sort of the stakes right it adds to the importance and and the um, danger of that sequence and like everything that Raiden and Serenity are fighting for in those moments
0: So Matisse is going around not only putting the younger children in your bed, but the slightly older children, the, you know, eight, nine year olds who are too young for battle, but also like completely sentient creatures and not completely reliant (laughs) on other individuals. Um, They're like practicing aeons that don't have full effectiveness yet because the, the full climax hasn't happened and everything hasn't gotten fixed. Um, but she's talking about like the power to the Aeons and how the there's still like importance in practicing them and using them and recognizing their power. And that's just kind of setting up the eventual plot twist or the conclusion that the Aeons are going to be fixed and the power is still there, just kind of waiting to get out. Um, and we assume in the future of Elantris, the Aeons will be kind of more fully functioning and have a lot of emphasis on how their world works because Elantris, it's all about like why aren't things working as they should. And we would imagine that like in the future we would see now that these things are working, now that the magic system is kind of functioning again, how does that impact these characters? How does that impact the world and maybe bring in uh, danger you know in a kind of avengers situation about like okay now we have power again now we have magic again but does that well, invite destruction we know
1: they're already going to be fighting the fjordal so yeah
0: the um side char- not side character but like the, the antagonists villains, that yeah. are um their whole again geography very important on cell
1: they're the hemology of yes. cell
0: super interesting in that
1: so interesting um,
0: that little group of people i really want them to be explored more and i also just kind of wonder you know did because it's about body manipulation and like changing um or manipulating their bones with magic over time Very much like hemallergy.
1: Yeah, it also requires sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's an end negative form of investiture. Okay, but we're not talking about Elantris. We're talking about hope of Elantris. (laughs) So sorry. So she essentially gets all of the children, runs out into the street, encounters these Fjordal soldiers who are trying to kill all of the Elantrians. And this is... Young, young girl. She is not very old, although she is in charge of the children. Um, she's actually, I think, like an early teenager, like 16, 17. So, you know, she's still very young. She sort of finds it within herself, steps up to the plate, um, comes up with this brilliant idea to get the children to safety, and stands up to the sh- soldiers. I think it's really cool to get a different perspective on everything that's happening in these end moments of Elantris, because we kind of watch Raiden go through the process of like figuring out how to fix the Aeons and everything. But it's cool to get the perspective of just like a regular Elantrian who doesn't really know what's going on, who's then all of a sudden just like, oh my gosh, magic, everything is fixed. And it's like this really beautiful, you know, ha ah, moment.
0: Love it, like it, gotta have it. We see the character we mentioned in the beginning, Ash, the Seon, uh, come to help out and assist Matisse. And as we progress in this short story, there is a kind of conclusion of hope or a conclusion of like the... A little like triumph, as Brooke mentioned, on a different scale or on a smaller scale than we see uh, with our main characters.
1: Yeah, I would say this is actually more hopeful. I feel like Elantris ends on like kind of a bittersweet note where they're like, well, everything will be better from here on out. But like they didn't really win the battle You know, and, like, there's still a bunch of danger from the Fjordal, whereas this short story is, like, pure hope, basically, at the end.
0: And that goes to Matisse's name, which means hope as well.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. The title of this short story, I think, works on several different levels. One, hope in, like, the future, being represented here by children. Serenia's pregnant, And then the whole story is about, you know, saving the children, the future of Elantris, the hope of Elantris to have a future. And then Matisse's name. Um, Ashi, the Sion, tells us that the Aeon Matisse's name is made off of means hope. And so he's, like, telling her, one day maybe you'll have a Sion, and I hope it's Sion Ati because, like, you're very hopeful, and that's what your name means. And then... At the end, um, we find out that Matisse actually did get a Sion, um, but it's not the Sion with the Ati Aeon on it. It it has Aeon, A-O, on it, which means bravery.
0: It kind of fits that in order to have hope, you need to be willing to be brave in, in dangerous situations. And, like, there is a kind of necessary component of bravery in the face of failure or danger um that is intertwined with the idea of hope like
1: and i think yeah like it takes bravery to be hopeful yes exactly a lot of the time right and i think that that's something that's reflected in a lot of brandon's stories including the first ideal that we say all the time Um, But the the bravery that it takes to have hope in the face of incredible adversity, these people, the living dead, essentially, still maintaining that hope.
0: I think that I'm just flashing back hard to Game of Thrones again. But like, that's a (laughs) quote from Ned Stark is that uh, the only time a man can be brave is when Mm. they are afraid. Yeah. Matisse has this fear and has this uh, challenge in the climactic moments of elantris and she faces that and helps save the hope of elantris in all the different (laughs) forms uh including her own name and provides the ability for then raiden and serene or serene to you know get together with themselves and (laughs) um make make some babies (laughs)
1: Some of these short stories and novellas that we talk about are going to be, like, super Cosmere significant. There's a bunch of great info that adds to our Cosmere knowledge base. This is not really one of those stories, which Brandon admits um, in the annotations for this. He, you know, pretty much says, like, look, this isn't anything super groundbreaking. It just adds a little bit to the story I already wrote, and he wrote it during a very, like, emotional, happy, like, sentimental period of his life. And so he's like, I know that kind of leaks through and it's a little bit, like, melodramatic and sappy. But, like, that's what it is. And here's this cute little story. So there's not really any, like, secret Cosmere gens in this story. It's just a nice, cute, feel-good kind of piece.
0: I find the idea of authors adding... Or changing elements of their stories to be hot news lately, uh, big in the world of literature. And Brandon has never really shied away from this choice of changing or adding aspects to his stories. Now, Some of them, like the big novellas, those are stories in their own right and take all the planning and outlining. And some of them, like this Hope of Elantris, are just little add-ons and additions that, as you said, don't radically change anything, uh, but were maybe just an idea or thought process that Brandon had and wanted to write.
1: I mean, I would say there's a difference there because he doesn't really like change things where he's like, actually the world is this way like some well, authors do he it's more like all of these stories already existed in his brain he just couldn't fit them in the book right so then he just writes them down and doesn't actually change anything except when he rewrote the ending of elantris because it needed to be rewritten
0: well he's, he, <laughs> and he also changed the ending of way of kings with the manner in which zeth and kaladin's fight it wasn't
1: published like that was it
0: the original publication was different than the current publication that you can get and this so this is kind of just what i wanted to segue this into for the rest of this episode for us is a question about what are the limits and like when because this is i find weird we live in a, a digital world as many of you know, who are listening to our sweet, sexy voices over the digital airwaves, you cannot, if you bought the original Way of Kings, that book was retroactively updated and changed parts of the story at the end to the updated version. And you can't go back and read the original version that you bought. Now, if you have a hard copy. Oh,
1: you mean only if you bought it digitally. Yes,
0: if you bought it digitally. Okay. I,
1: Obviously, if you bought a hard copy, yeah, it's is, the same. It's not a Harry Potter Don't universe. Don't listen
0: to him. Uh, no, no. But if you buy <laughs> it on the you Kindle. What are talking about? Yeah, yeah. If you have a hard copy, this doesn't apply.
1: People from the publishers just sneak into your house, cut, cut out, out a the pages. page,
0: <laughs> Put in. It's it's not even that much.
1: Rebind the book while you're sleeping.
0: If I remember correctly, it really is like two paragraphs worth of changes that make makes it less certain that Zeth died at the end of Way of Kings.
1: No, I think it's more like he falls to his death rather than Kaladin specifically killing him.
0: Yes. And then his uh, resurrection is made possible by Nome. Um And that idea was important for Brandon because of the story progression for Kaladin. And it was uh, a concept of like, he didn't want, he decided he didn't want Kaladin to strike Zeth down in a very clear way and instead kind of in the fight, let him die or let him fall to his death as the, I believe, Stormlight runs out.
1: I think Brandon Sanderson does a really good job of uh, judging the moment when it is... Appropriate and good to change a story for the benefit of the story and the benefit of the readers and the benefit of the further Cosmere, etc. And like when a change would just be vanity or anxiety or, you know, unnecessary. I'm sure as a writer, there are so many moments when you're like, I should have done that. I should have done that. I should have done that. And as you grow as a writer, you realize that. You know, you could spend your entire life just rewriting a single book over and over again, and it's never going to be 100% perfect. But he does a good job of holding himself back from those kind of things and really identifying the moments that need those changes.
0: I agree. He probably is the best example I've seen of someone who is willing to make those changes, but then does it in a way that is still... With a very clear insight of his goals and what he's trying to accomplish, but we've also seen this with many authors and creators who like can't really let it go. I think George Lucas is the famous, constantly changing the original Star Wars series. Just
1: leave it alone. (laughs) And he
0: said, like very clearly, he's like, "They're mine. I can do whatever I want with them. Like I made these movies, and I want them this way, and they're mine." Um, and then obviously he sold them to the big mouse and now they are disney's but uh and i don't think he's allowed to do anything anymore but bask in the billions and billions of dollars that he has (laughs) i kind of find this question about like when does something become uneditable by an author is it as soon as it's published is it never is like, what Brandon has decided to do. Yeah, exactly. Like, is it kind of...
1: And that's, like, what your editor and the rest of your team is for, right? Um, Is to sort of keep you grounded and remind you, like hey, this is appropriate for the world you're building. This isn't appropriate for the world you're building. Like, remember when you said two weeks ago, like, you didn't want me to let you edit this? (laughs) I'm not going to let you edit it.
0: (laughs) And that's a great point about having people around you who are also heavily invested and not being the sole arbiter of the world you've created is probably really, really important.
1: And I think he clearly has... A good supportive team that yeah. has a lot of trust where he is able to you know add the add these little bits and pieces because his team would have to have a good idea you know and know that he has a clear plan he has a clear outline he has this whole world inside of his head because he's an amazing genius <laughs> and that the stories are not coming out of a place of, you know, ego or anxiety. They are truly stories that exist in this world that he is just bringing into the world.
0: I think people like Peter, uh, who is Brandon's longtime yeah, editor assistant. and assistant. Um, and I think that, that someone like that is super important to have who as you said, there's a lot of trust in between those two individuals. And I think that's probably why we have the extended universe that we do in the Cosmere is because Brandon's not operating solely by himself. He has taken these Cosmere ideas and kind of distributed them in to other people around him, mine, and gotten them invested as well. So now there's like, multiple outlines that brandon has for the series but there's also multiple outlines that peter has for this series and they're working in conjunction
1: i would say as we said previously on this podcast brandon is really good about not committing things committing two things that he's not completely sure about so if he's not sure like he will either say nothing and just say i'm not sure about that yet i haven't figured it out Or he might say, like, this is kind of my idea, but I don't know if that's going to be permanent. And, like, he's very clear about those things, which I think is great. I think as a person in the public eye, it's very tempting to act or say that you know everything, um, which just isn't real about the creative process. It's more of a process of discovery than determining. Um, So I really like that. He has that perspective that he's willing to share it with us. And I think that's something that adds to his ability to constructively add to his world and make changes.
0: Yeah. On the other side of the coin, we have J.K. Rowling, who is one of my favorite authors for the Harry Potter works, very devoted to Harry Potter. But the most recent or one of the recent things that has come up in the Harry Potter extended universe began with a fan question on a forum saying, if wizards don't like muggle technology or, you know, human technology and have held off on intertwining the magic world and the muggle world, then why does Hogwarts have toilets? There's a bunch of scenes that happen in bathrooms in Hogwarts, and the toilets are a huge aspect. I think to get into the ministry, you like step in a toilet and pull the handle and you like get all sucked down. So like why do they have toilets if they don't like muggle technology? And that's a silly question happening on an internet forum, and it doesn't need to be answered by anyone. Uh, it can just be like a fun thing. But J.K. Rowling, for whatever reason, felt like she needed to answer that question by creating a backstory that then begets more questions, and it creates this never-ending string of what I consider to be like nonsense or things that are not important to the overall story. Wizards apparently just used to poop and pee wherever they want and then magic their stuff away. <laughs> and Hogwarts didn't have toilets until like the 1800s and they, it was like a new uh, thing that they brought in. And then you're just like, wait, what? Like that's, it just makes you go down this path of like, okay, well, so do all the wizards do that? Like can 10 year olds use yeah, that magic just like to... the
1: ability to not engage with things yeah exactly <laughs> which, it's, it's as and important like, and to acknowledge the fiction of it like when people start asking brandon like super super specific physics questions and things like that like there are he to be fair he has a lot of it figured out which is impressive but at some point there are things where he'll just be like yeah i I don't know. It's magic. It's magic. Just don't worry about it. (laughs) I
0: I think that that is great. And it shows a level of intellectual honesty or comfort with your self-confidence in your own creation and your own knowledge where there's not this continual desire to like, oh, yeah, I definitely know everything that there is to know about this world because I created it in my head. So it's obviously mine. And instead, just be like there's a lot that I'm working on and here's some cool stuff or RAFO, like you will, you will find (laughs) out eventually. Or just like, I don't know, it's magic. Don't worry about it so much. Yeah. I think the main thing that I am trying to get across is that the Cosmere is great. And there are a lot of these little stories that add a little bit. And there are many novellas that we're about to tackle in the upcoming episodes. We wanted to intro that as well as really just talk nonsense for a little while because that's what we like to do here
1: (laughs) thanks for listening to our nonsense until next time life before death
0: strength before
1: weakness journey before destination
0: Broken Tyler in the morning. Can that be our new intro? No. (laughs) It's going to be our new intro, everybody.
1: (laughs) Well.